This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. We've been talking about ruling, rising up to reign, taking our place in rulership and taking our place in the authority that God gave us as believers. Sometimes I think we misunderstand that. I think sometimes we think that it all depends on us and that somehow we have to do this great warfare. We, we have to engage, but there's a way to engage. And we engage by operating in the courts of heaven. You're going to find that, and I don't have time to teach it today, but there are seven courtrooms in heaven. And each of these courtrooms is entered into by varying degrees of authority. There are four of them that all of us can enter into. And then there are three that are set aside for those that have special giftings or anointings on their lives. There are certain that only apostles and prophets can enter into. That's why you have to engage an apostle or a prophet to engage in that courtroom. That's why God gave you gifts. There's different authorities. That's why some prayers can't get answered in your prayer closet. There's some things that we can't do individually. There are things we must do corporately. There are some places we can't enter unless we do so corporately. But there are other things that you cannot enter unless you get the agreement of others that have greater authority than you. Those gifts and callings, no man takes that honor upon himself. In fact, if you ever meet a real apostle or a real prophet, they're not ever telling you that. That has to be discerned by the Spirit. But then God allows warfare to take place in the heavenlies. And that warfare, often in the heavenlies, is in a courtroom. When you are at the level of the demonic, the Bible says you can enter and have easy access. The Bible says, in fact, be bold. Come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in your time of need. Every Christian, every believer has the right to go boldly to the throne room of God and you find help there. Jesus, your righteous advocate is there to make intercession on your behalf. And you don't have to contest demons. You have authority over all the demonic forces. You simply have to get a mandate from heaven that Jesus the righteous purchased. And I'm going to talk about that today. But just like there are different courts on earth. Not everybody can represent themselves in court. You can at a magistrate's level. But the higher in the court system you go, there are different lawyers that can only represent at certain levels of court. Not everybody can go into the Supreme Court. That's the highest court in the land. You have to be represented by a certain type of counselor that can represent you there. So it is in heaven. And so today, I don't have time to talk about the courts of heaven, but I do want to talk to you about the role of our mediator, Jesus the Christ. Jesus Christ. Now, as a pastor in my life, I've had many opportunities to work with people who wanted or needed the church or needed somebody to be a mediator to see if something could be worked out before they appeared in a courtroom. Often when this is done, a solution can be agreed upon by both parties. If I can get 
the two parties to agree. Then they appear before the judge and it's simply for him to put his stamp on it and approve it as being a legal transaction. The purpose of a mediator is to bring two parties together into a place of agreement. Mediators and mediation is a legal function. Now it's amazing to me how many Christians come for mediation or they come for the church to rule on a subject and when they don't get what they want they go to court anyway. That's not, that, that's not accepting the legal responsibility of mediation. If you ever go into mediation, if you ever ask for the church to mediate, you must abide by the mediation or you're violating every principle. Often in those cases, nobody wins. I've seen on many cases where people become intransigent. They won't listen to any counsel, any arbitration. But the Bible says in Hebrews 12 and verse 24 that we have a mediator of the new covenant. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See, we have come to Jesus, who is the mediator of the new covenant, and we have to understand that Jesus is the one who is standing in the courts of heaven as our heavenly mediator, bringing God the Father and man together in agreement. The scripture says that the man, Jesus, is the mediator. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 says that in his humanity and in his godhood, he stands as mediator between God and us. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You know, in the book of Job, there was a lament. Job's crying out, he says, who can represent me? I am a sinful man. I am far from God. He says, who could be a daysman? It's a very powerful word. It actually is the word mediator. Who could be the umpire that can put their hand on sinful man and their hand on God and bring us together? Job cried out for somebody that could do that. Well, Jesus is that person. The thing that makes one a mediator is that he or she is fair with both sides or both parties. The mediator has to be able to see where each party stands. So as God, Jesus understands the demands of holiness. He understands the demands of purity. He understands the demands of righteousness. And these standards can't be compromised and they're not negotiable. God as God can never allow his righteousness to be compromised. The demand, upon, the demand of God upon man is to be holy as I am holy. 1 Peter 1 verses, uh, 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 16 show this demand. You can read the whole chapter there. But uh, it says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. You should probably go back and read that whole chapter sometime. I don't have time to do it this morning. But God has never lessened his demands on man. God demands holiness from all of us. He just answered them in and through Jesus Christ. 
The demand is no less, but he's answered them in Christ. In addition, he grants you and I the grace that empowers you and I to live lives as he is holy. So if you fail or when you fail, we have to understand that then there is forgiveness of sins through Christ Jesus. When John, 1 John 2, 1 tells us that we're to strive not to sin. But should we sin, what Jesus accomplished on the cross grants God the legal right to forgive us. Paul said, or John said it this way, he says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate. Go, excuse me? Can we go back to that verse? We have an advocate with the Father. We have an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. Here's the beauty of this. Jesus is in the courts of heaven as our mediator. Bringing God and us together so that what legally needs to happen can happen. Not only does Jesus as mediator stand for the demands of God in holiness, but he also stands for man understanding our frailty. You see, Jesus lived as a man and understands the pressures and the temptations of humanity. Scripture says that Jesus was tempted and yet he didn't sin. In Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16, he encourages us with the fact, encourages us with the fact that Jesus understands where we live and what we war against. This verse says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet, or excuse me, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. That verse of scripture where we can go boldly before the throne of grace is directly related to our weaknesses and our sins. Jesus was, was, was without sin, but you and I are with sin. But we have an advocate. We have somebody that we can go boldly before the throne of grace with who understands us, understands our frailty, yet understands God's righteousness, and he can bring the two together and mediate on our behalf. That is the power of what Jesus paid for on the cross of Calvary. Amen. You see, when the Bible says that Jesus was tempted, this means that he felt the pull and the enticement of sin. It was real for him. When he was tempted in the, in, in the wilderness, that wasn't fake. That wasn't just some kind of a, 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 a ritual. He felt the temptation. He was torn. He wanted to take the shortcut in his flesh, but he was fully led of the Spirit not to. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace that he supplied, Jesus said no to sin every single time. And because of this, he has won a place in the courts of heaven greater than any other place. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no power 
that is supreme to his power because he's won that place in heaven. It also means he understands the limits of our humanity. Because of this very fact that he was all God and he was all man, he is now able to stand as our mediator with God and as God's mediator with us. Does that make sense? Notice, the reason for Jesus' mediation is concerning the new covenant in his blood. He is the mediator of the new covenant. That word covenant is a legal term as well. Anytime God made covenant with man, he came into a legal agreement with man. He was promising on the basis of covenant that he would fulfill his word and his promises connected to that covenant. Jesus is our mediator and God's mediator in working to remove every hindrance from you and I getting the promises of the new covenant. That's pretty powerful. There are many promises connected with the new covenant. This covenant is based on better promises, a better sacrifice than the old covenant. Hebrews 8 verse 6 says that the covenant that Jesus is mediating is based on something better, better promises. It says in Hebrews 8 6, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch that he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. I'm glad we have a mediator that's mediating on our behalf to give us something better than there was in the old covenant. You see, Jesus is here to mediate into place everything that is legally yours by virtue of his cross and of his sacrifice. God made promises based on Jesus' blood and sacrifice. These promises are yours and mine in Christ Jesus. They belong to us, but our own weakness and our own humanity work against us and keep us from getting these promises. The accuser of the brethren, the devil, will resist you and I from getting the promises that are contained in the new covenant based on our sinfulness, based on anything he can hold us to legally. But Jesus, by his blood and by his sacrifice as our mediator, is working to answer every accusation so that we can legally have what was legally bought and what was legally paid for at the cross of Calvary. Anything that we have yet to get from the sacrifice of the cross is because something legal is being used by the devil to resist it. If you haven't received some of the promises that God promised in his word, it's because there is something legally binding that the enemy is using. That's why Jesus, as mediator, is working on your behalf with you 
to remove this so that you can have all that Jesus paid for you to have. If we have prayed and yet and have yet to get what is legally, legally ours from the cross, then we must operate in discernment before the courts of heaven to remove what hinders us. I'm hoping that what I'm teaching is going to help you change your prayer life a little bit. You see, our mediator is operating on behalf, on our behalf. Our mediator, Jesus, is presenting before the courts of heaven our legal claims based on what he accomplished on the cross. The accuser of the brethren is pointing out in the courts why God cannot legally grant what Jesus bought and paid for. The accuser bases his accusation out of the holiness of God. He says, you are holy, you can't allow this unholy person to have something Holy because he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't have the right to it. He's unholy. You can't bless holiness where there's unholiness. What, he'll even quote the scripture. He says, what company does have the temple of the devil with the temple of God? What, what purity with, or unholiness with holiness? This person is defiled. The devil will curse you before God. See, the accuser of the brethren is pointing out in the courts why God cannot legally grant to you what Jesus paid for. The accuser bases his accusations out of the holiness of the Lord, but before God can legally grant what Jesus purchased for us and for, our, our, and, and, and for us and what is ours by covenant, the mediator must answer these accusations in the court. This usually requires our involvement. It requires our repentance and our putting into place the blood of Jesus for our sins. Amen. Remember, the devil has no answer for the blood. He can't get past the blood. When you and I truly repent of our sins, the blood cleanses them away and also takes away the right for the devil to resist us. We are now free to receive the promises of the new covenant. Now, one of the ways that the mediator, Jesus, operates in the courts of heaven in our behalf is through his testimony. His testimony. Revelations 19.10 gives a very interesting insight into Jesus how he releases his testimony as our mediator. It says, and I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, that's a very powerful, powerful passage of scripture. We see here that in this story that John the Apostle is, has made a mistake in worshiping someone that was sent with a message. Now, this wasn't an angel because this person that was sent says he is a fellow servant. So I have to believe that this must be one of the company of witnesses. Did you know that there's a company of witnesses that watch your life in heaven? They're cheering you on. 
They can testify to your righteousness. They can testify of your life. Did you know that the, the people, yeah, yeah, it doesn't just stop. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Do you think they just sit in, I think they're watching what's going on. This man grants John a revelation. He comes with a revelation. He says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You see, when Jesus is mediator, as our mediator, is testifying in the courts of heaven, it can become a prophecy in the mouth of us here on earth. In other words, when you're in the heavenly place and you hear the mediator make a declaration in the heavens, that declaration that was made in heavens against your adversary can now be brought to earth and made against your physical adversary because it's been broken in the, phys- in the spiritual realm. That's why the spirit of prophecy is so important. That's why Moses said, I wish everybody would prophesy. That's what Paul says, I wish you were all able to prophesy. We need to practice prophesying over our lives, prophesying over our children. Why do you think my wife prophesied over my daughter? Why do you think when we bring her up here, we speak words of prophecy over her? Why? And We don't do it just for her. We do it to model to you how you raise your children. You should be speaking words of life. You should be getting things from the throne room and declaring them over your children. You should be getting things from the throne room and declaring them over your businesses. You should be getting things from the throne room and declaring them over your life. You should be breaking the iniquities, breaking the sins of your parents' past. You should be going in and using verdicts from the throne room to break off all the ancestral worship, to break off all the fear and all the bondage. And a word from heaven uttered on earth is as powerful as the word in heaven. A word, the word of God in your mouth is as powerful as the word of God in God's mouth. That's why you go into the heavenlies. You get a word from heaven, it'll change everything on earth. You see... As we prophesy, we are agreeing and releasing the same testimony that Jesus is releasing in the courts of heaven. Prophecy isn't just information in the earth realm. Prophecy is agreeing with the testimony of Jesus in the courts of heaven. This is why every word will be established out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. The Apostle Paul said that in 2 Corinthians, the 13th verse, And he's saying that things that are established and considered to be true are where more than one witness says the same thing. So when he's coming back to the Corinthians, he says, this is the third time I'm coming back to you. He says, and by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So what he's saying is, he says, I'm coming back for the third time. He says, I'm going to tell you the same thing from heaven. I'm going to tell you the word of God for the third time, and I want this to be established in your life. Well, Jesus is giving a principle there. He says, if you get something from heaven, that's established once. If you declare it on earth and agree with it, that's established twice. And he says, that establishes it for good. That's why we taught earlier this year that if you understand the scripture that says all of the promises of God are yes and amen to those of you that believe. Well, let me tell you something. It's one thing 
for us to get the yes. That's when Jesus prophesies. That's when God declares a thing. But it still needs your amen. It's a two-edged sword. It needs your agreement. It needs your yes. It needs God's yes and your amen. You need to say the same thing that you're getting from heaven on earth. You need to say the same thing consistently about what's going on in your situation that God gave you, not what the world's telling you. And you can't be double-minded about this. You can't go to God one time and get a witness from heaven and then go to the witch doctor the next time. Or to your grandmother or go-go or somebody. No wonder things don't work. Well, let's see. If God, I got something from heaven in the prayer closet, but hey, I went back home to Kamusha, and Grandma said this, and the witch doctor said that, and the chief said this, and so I'm totally confused. So where's your amen? I want to know, where's your amen? That shouldn't be ouch. By this time, you should be smart enough to know that what happens in heaven is what happens on earth. But you have an accuser that works with the demonic on earth that's trying to hold you from getting what God declared you could have. And he does. Because you're so double-minded, so afraid, still thinking that that witch doctor has power over the blood of Jesus. Still thinking that that your manipulation of your parents, the manipulation of your grandparents, have power over the courts of heaven. And you'd rather believe them than the courts of heaven. And the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways and should expect to receive nothing from the courts of heaven. Because you can't. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your amen be with the word of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. Whether it's with your business, whether it's with the political situation, whether it's with your in-laws or your outlaws, however you see them. (laughs) When we prophesy, understand that we're referring to a court proceeding. And we should be speaking the very words that Jesus is testifying. Our voice in the courts agreeing with the voice of the mediator grants God evidence to release verdicts on our behalf. You see, the promises of the new covenant, once we do that, are then free to come to earth, into the earthly realm. You know, to understand Jesus as the mediator, I think we have to understand what a mediator really is. And an all-inclusive term of Jesus' function in the courts of heavens, uh, let me just take the last part of the meeting today and just explain to you what a mediator is. There are other terms associated with the term mediator. Jesus is called, there's three that I'm going to close with. Three, he's called the high priest, He's called the intercessor, and he's called our advocate. Those are the three things he is as our mediator. So let's just talk for a minute about the high priest. As high priest, it is Jesus' responsibility to present an offering that, that, that grants God 
a legal right to show mercy and not judgment. This is the basic function of the high priest. This is what Aaron in the Old Testament did. This is what the Levites did. The, the, the priestly families did in the Old Testament. Through the offerings of blood and the, uh, uh, of the blood of bulls and goats that they offered to God, that they presented before God, God was then free to be merciful to his people. People that he would have otherwise had to judge. Well, here's the good news. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news is that not only is Jesus the high priest, he is also the offering that he as the high priest offers. His sacrifice and his offering is sufficient for God legally to forgive, save, and redeem us into our destinies, into what he purposed for you for your life. In fact, just look at Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 12. Hebrews 9, 11 through 12 shows us that Jesus' sacrifice gave him something as a high priest to offer. It says, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Guys, this is so powerful. This is the crux, this is the key of the whole gospel. And why it's so important that we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice. Jesus as high priest offered his own blood in the most holy place. To grant God legal right to bless us save us and redeem us into our destinies. This is the function of every high priest. Now, even though Jesus as high priest operates here, you and I have to appropriate this activity as believers. Now, this is what requires faith and repentance in what Jesus has done and is doing. See, we have to understand that Jesus has already finished the work of our redemption on the cross. But he is still active in the courts of heaven until all that he has done becomes a reality in our lives. Does that make sense? Jesus, from a place of rest, seated at the right hand of the Father, is now waiting until we, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church, embrace and activate everything that he has accomplished on the cross. Hebrews 10, you can look at this, verses 10 through 12 shows Jesus, his present activity from his place of rest. He says, but this man, that is Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifices, one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. He's placing everything under his feet. We are the body of Christ. He's waiting for us 
to appropriate what he did on the cross, what he did in our forgiveness, and, and, and he's released us to bring everything under subjection and place it under his feet. And the God of peace shall soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Your feet. Are you getting this? You see, now, some people don't get this picture right. <laughs> when the Bible says that Jesus sat down, it doesn't indicate inactivity. He's not sitting there like you sit in church. <laughs> he sits down, and his sitting down speaks of a place of absolute, absolute dominion and rulership. In fact, the word is katizo in the Greek. To sit as one who rules. God wants you and I to begin to practice that too, that we, from a place of rest in Christ, rule and reign as one Christ Jesus. We begin to take our kingly roles and begin to rule and reign over the domains and the dominions he's given us. In fact, he is waiting for his people, the church, the ecclesia, to work with him to put into place all that he has legally purchased and paid for on the cross. Now, he's still active from his place of dominion. When the Bible speaks of rest, it's not speaking of just peace. It's speaking of a position of dominion and rulership. That's what it means in Hebrews 4, 9, where it says, there remains a place of rest for the people of God. A piece of rest. Well, that, that's not just, oh, man. I don't, no, no, it's not, not doing anything. It's resting in the authority of Christ. Hidden in Christ. Christ in me. Me in Christ. And this has been spoken of since the creation. God is not waiting on a people just to have peace. He is waiting on a people to enter his position of dominion and to rule from that place. He's waiting on you and I to discover and to find out the place of rulership that we have with him. The place that he always desired for us to be. Seated with him in heavenly places. But we have to discover it. You just, it doesn't just come to you. You're learning how to live in the kingdom. You're learning how to transverse the courts of heaven. When God made Adam... On the sixth day, Adam arose up on the seventh day and said to God, what are we going to do today? Here's what God said, nothing. I want you to learn immediately that everything we are going to do, we're going to do from rest. The seventh day was the day of rest. See, we do not accomplish the will of God by striving. We accomplish the will of God by resting in him. Now remember, rest is not inactivity. That doesn't mean you're not doing anything. Rest is working from a position of dominion and absolute authority. This is what Jesus is doing. He's still operating as mediator, as high priest, as intercessor, as advocate. But all of these things he is doing from a position of rest and rulership. And God's trying to train you to take that same position. Can somebody say amen? amen? All right, let's go on. Let's just talk about Jesus as the intercessor. 
I love this. Jesus is our intercessor. Not only is he our mediator, not only is he our advocate, but he's our intercessor. Therefore, in Hebrews 7 and verse 25, it says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who, came to God, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What is Jesus doing? From his position of rest, from his position in dominion, he's making intercession for those that he saved from the uttermost. How many of you can say, I came from the uttermost? How about from the guttermost? <laughs> Some of you came from the guttermost, not the uttermost. But God saved you. And not only has he saved you, but Jesus is making intercession for you. Amen. Having begun a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. Amen. I'm convinced of that. Are you? Yes. See, Jesus ever lives, the Bible says, to make intercession for us. Now, intercession, whether made by Jesus or by you, is a legal activity. When we intercede, we are granting God the legal right to intervene in the situation. Amen. Through our intercession, we are putting things legally into place for God to win the battle. If God loses, it's because something legal has not been dealt with by you and I. Intercession is always made on the basis of an offering. If there is no offering, then there is no basis for intercession. That's true. Why do you think we want you to present offerings? So you can buy your salvation? No, 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 no. To activate your intercession. See, even Jesus had an offering. Where there is an offering, the Bible says God remembers us. Do you remember Cornelius? Cornelius wasn't even a believer. He was a heathen. And yet he prayed to God and gave alms. And God says, on behalf of your alms and your prayers, I'm sending you an angel and I'm sending you an apostle to teach you about heaven, about God. Look at Psalm 20, verses 1 through 4. This just teaches us that God blessed and remembered people on the basis of their offerings. It says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of God, the God of Jacob, defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all of your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. Then it says, Selah. He says, think about that. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. Oh, man, I don't know about you. I think that's something I would put on the front of my Bible and kind of quote about 10 times a day. That's one worth memorizing, don't you think? See, here's what the psalmist is doing. He's speaking on, uh, he's talking about how God will defend us, help us, strengthen us. Then he says, may he remember all of your offerings and your burnt sacrifices. You see, it's, 
It is offerings that create the basis by which we are heard. Now, Jesus, as our intercessor, also needs an offering to form the basis on which his prayer is heard. What do you think his offering is? His body and his blood, which he offered on the cross, are his offering. Once and for all, God himself, man, God incarnate in man, without sin, without corruption, died on the cross, paying the full sacrifice, not the blood of bulls and goats any longer, but once and for all, the Lamb of God paid for your and my sins, and he made the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate offering that speaks. If Jesus didn't give his body, and if he didn't give his blood as an offering, he could not be our intercessor. In Hebrews, the seventh chapter, the 25th to 27th verse, this verse shows us that Jesus' function as intercessor is connected to the offering that he made, the offering of himself. And because of this sacrifice that is on the altar, his intercession is not only accepted, but it is legally accepted and is powerful in the courts of heaven. Listen to what it says. Therefore, he is also able to say to the uttermost those who come to him, to, who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens who does not need daily as those high priests of old to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's sins. For this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. I don't know about you, but this is good news for us. This is really good news for believers. Just tell somebody, this is good news for you. Lean to your other neighbor and say, this is good news for me too. So, I believe that we should all have gifts on the altar. I believe that our financial giving, our tithes, our first fruits, our sacrifices, our offerings of ourselves, sometimes we just offer ourselves. I think that they create a basis for us to pray and for us to intercede. Now, even if all we have is the offering of Jesus' blood and his body, we have still got legal right that stands in the courts of the Lord. Because he paid it all. The truth is that Jesus, as intercessor, as our intercessor, has a right to be heard in the courtrooms of heaven because of his offering and his offering alone. And this is true for you and I as well. So if you never gave an offering, let me tell you something. His blood is still sufficient for all of us. But I want you to understand something. Throughout the scriptures, I can show you that God honors the offerings of his people. Abel. The Bible says about Abel, it says he was heard and accepted because of his offering. 
In fact, in Hebrews 11, verse 4, it says that God testified to Abel's offering. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. That's a powerful verse of scripture. Through his sacrifices, he still speaks. 6,000 years later, God gave witness that Abel was righteous because he testified of his gifts. In other words, the Lord from his throne deemed Abel righteous based on the faith gifts that he brought to the Lord. The scripture goes on to say that he is still speaking today. Still speaking. I personally believe that his extraordinary and extravagant extravagant giving and his offerings granted him a place of intercession that is still being heard today. Not only that, but then his shed blood also cried out. And still speaks as well. Jesus... As our intercessor is interceding on the basis of his sacrifice for you and I. His intercession is in agreement with what his blood is already speaking in the earth. Boy, I tell you, it has great heavens. It has great power in the courts of heaven. And if you agree with it, it gives you great power in the courts of heaven. Let me close with this last picture of the mediator. He's our advocate, our advocate. The last thing that Jesus, being our mediator, means is that he is our advocate. 1 John 2, verses 1 through 2, shows us that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He says this, he says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Don't sin. I'm writing this so you don't sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for, our own, ours, not for us only, but for the whole world. Can I tell you something? When that word propitiation, that means that he took our place. He's the one who paid the price for the whole world. But just because he paid the price doesn't mean that it works on your behalf. You have to activate it. You have to apply what he did. You have to get involved. You determine whether it works for you. You have to access it. And if you're not accessing what he paid for, then it's of no use. This is good news. It's our advocate. Jesus is our intercessor, our comforter, and our consoler. From his righteous position in the courts of heaven, we have imputed righteousness. That means that it's not ours, it's imputed to us. It's something that he gave to us. You know, when we fail or when we sin, God will forgive us, not because of us, but for Jesus' sake. And he imputes 
his righteousness to us so that we can stand legally in the courts of heaven. But this only occurs if we repent. And we must really repent. We have to turn away from our sin. Once this is done, we're positioned in the courts of heaven to be a part of the process. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Do you get that? In Christ, I am righteous. When I repent, bring the blood, have the armor of God on, come in the name of Jesus, I'm as good as gold. My accuser can say whatever he wants to, the blood covers me. The blood pays the price for every sin I've committed or will commit. But I don't want to sin. I want to stand righteously with my Savior. I want to be an overcomer. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. We by faith repent and we receive the imputed righteousness that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. This and only this is what allows us to stand in the courts of the Lord. Again, the accuser has no answer for the blood of Jesus. Jesus is our advocate. He'll comfort us. He'll console us when we fail. He'll also chasten us and press us to greater holiness. His grace doesn't just forgive us. His grace empowers us to overcome sin. Grace is not just for the forgiveness. It's also the empowerment to live now for Him. To live in the now for Him. To live in grace by faith. To live for Him now. Now, the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we learn to say no to sin. Even on our best days of walking before him and with him, I'll tell you what, we still need his righteousness imputed to us. Even when you think you had the best day, let me tell you something, don't do it on your own, just stay under the blood. This is what grants you and I authority and a place in the courts of heaven. We can never come on our own merit but only on the merit of who he is and what he has done for us on the cross. The Father will receive us for Jesus' sake if we repent and we begin to grab hold of his provisions and his forgiveness and his power to walk in holiness. We cannot excuse our sin. We can't excuse it. Some of you make excuses. Well, you don't understand where I came from. You don't understand the woman I'm married to or the man I'm married to. Oh, but, but, but we live in hard times in Zimbabwe. That's why I steal. You can't excuse sin. Everything that is necessary for us to overcome has been provided. May we not grieve the Father, but would we please Him? Would we please His heart? 
Come on, let's thank him. You guys are one minute early. I would have finished right on time if you wouldn't. Hallelujah. Just think of this. Our advocate is waiting to help us. He's waiting to help us into this life of empowerment and overcoming. Jesus' voice is our mediator, is speaking in the courts of heaven. From this voice and agreement with this voice, there is testimony released that grants God the legal right to fulfill his passions. When we understand this, we never have to shrink back in shame. We never have to pull back. We walk forward in true repentance, receiving the forgiveness of our Lord, taking our place before His throne of grace. When we do, judicial activity begins to take place. And they come from the courts of heaven that grant God the legal right to invade the planet, to invade your situation, to invade earth. My prayer for this church, my prayer for myself, is that every one of us would be a part of this process. That every one of us would begin to understand that it's not how long we pray, but how effectively we pray in the courts of heaven. It may take you hours, it may take you days to get a verdict, but don't beat the wind. Don't just get in there and think that by your much noise. No, 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 no. You're in a legal process. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Listen to what he's saying. You will find yourself in the courts of heaven. You will find yourself calling upon your advocate, your mediator, your intercessor, Jesus the righteous. He is your righteousness. He gives you every right to stand boldly before our Father who's in heaven. My prayer is that my message today has helped you see yourself differently in your prayer closet. Help you see yourself differently in our worship services. Help you see yourself differently with your seed, your offerings, your tithes. That they're not just, oh, to pay for the church. No, 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 no. They speak. Your sacrifices speak. Every seed has a voice and speaks long after you're dead. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.